This episode of Physically Spiritual is all about vision and how a compelling image of the future can help us accelerate towards our goals. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. There's a subtle difference between having a goal and having a vision. Our, our goals, I think, are, are good. It's good to have goals, but our goals can, can really go in two different directions. In a goal, you can either be running away from something or running towards something. Right? When you're thinking of health, when you're thinking of your life in Christ, when you're thinking of maybe the, the idea of who you wish you would be, there's both things that you wish weren't the case about you and things you wish were the case about you. Right? There's certain things you want to get away from, and then there's other things you want to move toward. And there's something interesting about human nature that, that, that really, I think, makes both important. And I know in my life, in my experience, one of the things that's stunted my growth and my progress at times is that my motivation has been a lot about what I want to get away from, the sins I no longer want to commit, the things I don't like about my personality, about my body, about my, the way I feel, about the way I look, about what I do, right? And, and so that's driven me away from those behaviors. That's motivated me to be different. But there's something I've discovered about myself that I've realized is actually revealed in the teachings of the church and the vision of the human person that the church gives us. And that's that the further I get away from what I'm trying to get away from, the less motivated I become. So that bad habit that I had, once I stopped doing it for a week or two weeks or a month, sometimes my motivation to do the things that keep me away from that go away. Right, that, that weight that I wanted to lose as the number in the scale got lower and lower, I became less and less motivated to continue to eat healthy food or do that exercise or whatever behavior. And there's a reason for this. Our, our understanding of what it means to be human in our tradition as Catholics has this understanding called the powers of the soul. The powers of the soul. And, and this idea is that as humans created in God's image and likeness, there's a certain way we can understand the way the soul functions. And we might just take two sort of domains of functioning in general. One is knowing and the other is wanting. You might think of the head and the heart, right? These two analogies we have for the deep richness of our interior life, knowing and wanting. So in each kind of layer of our soul or way that we are, um, are animated as human beings, we have this domain of knowing and wanting. And these are two sides of the same coin within us as a person. Now, so at the base of our uh, human experiences, our, our, our animal sort of instincts, our ability to d- detect what's going on around us. And, and this is a lot of it is automated. And so at this basic level of experience of detection, we have our instincts functioning. We're either drawn towards something or drawn away from something. There's this appetitive side of it, this passionate side of it. So I enter into a room and I'm maybe made a little bit uncomfortable by it. Let's say it's a room full of strangers. And what happens is my body starts shifting automatically to prepare me to face whatever dangers I perceive in the space or whatever potential difficulties. Right? This is all happening automatically within me. But there's a knowing and a wanting that's occurring. The next layer up is my layer of sensing. 
right? This is what we have in, in common with other animals as human beings. This, this layer of, of sensing our senses, our internal senses and our external senses, these internal senses are things like my memory and my imagination. The external senses are things like seeing and smelling and tasting and hearing. And everything I experience with my senses, I have a reaction to. I have a passion that correlates with it, an attraction or a repulsion. And these, these attractions and repulsions are sometimes called our sense appetites or our passions. So everything I experience, if it's something difficult or fearful or something that seems uh, daunting, I'm either going to be drawn toward facing that difficulty because I'm courageous, or I'm going to experience a, a draw away from it, a fear from it, a wanting to to kind of be smaller in the midst of that thing or hide. And similarly, if I'm experiencing something I find attractive, something I find interesting or exciting or, or delightful, I'm either going to experience a, a drawing toward that thing, I want that thing, I'm attracted to it, or a push away from it. Oh, I know that doesn't taste good. I didn't like the last time I, I had that, whatever it is. It's not worth the calories or whatever the passion response in me is. And then as humans, we have this third layer. You might think of it as the top of the elevator of our soul. This uh, reason, we have the ability to know. And with that ability to know, we're also attracted and repulsed by the ideas we have. And the, the appetite we have towards our knowledge, towards our reason, that rational appetite is actually what we've considered historically as our will as a human person. So what makes me have a free will, unlike lower animals, is the fact that I can know things. And I experience an attraction or repulsion to the knowledge that I have. So let's, I think a, a great image that illustrates this, I call it the buffet effect. You know, imagine what would happen if you have a hungry dog and you let them loose without supervision on a buffet. What happens? Right? They make a mess of things. They just go crazy, eating everything they can, you know, maybe to the point of even getting sick or something like that. Right? Their, their instinct just takes over, and they eat anything and everything. But we as a human person, we approach that buffet with this whole complex of instincts that come out of our just basic experience. Right? So you're going to approach the buffet, you're going to have certain smells that come in and, and certain sights that come in, and, and your body's going to start priming itself to digest just from that basic experience of being near it. You might start salivating. You might actually feel hungrier. Your body's going to try to get what it needs to survive. But then you also have uh, the sense experience of those things coupled with your memory and your imagination, right? So, so you see that food and you have some sense of what's going to taste good to you based on your past experiences and based on what you imagine those dishes will taste like based on those past experiences. You know, so you're drawn to, oh, maybe the steak looks good to you or the macaroni and cheese or the desserts or what kind of salad dressing you would want and all of that. But then as a human person, you have that third layer of knowing. So you also have information that you bring to bear in that environment. And so you have this whole conglomeration of health facts and information, right? The covers of the magazines that you've read while you've been in line at the grocery store or the podcast you listened to or that family member who told you what they did to lose so much weight or that, uh, you know, that, that doctor who told you because your blood pressure is higher, or cholesterol isn't in a good place, how you should change your diet, right? All those pieces of information then come to bear in your experience at that buffet, and you as a human person, in that mix of 
instincts and senses and knowing have a comp- complex of attractions and repulsions. And then in the midst of that, you're making choices. What makes you free in the midst of that buffet is your reason and your ability to know the truth. Right? Our Lord said the truth will set you free. And so you're, uh, you might think of it like the good trip to the buffet is the one through which you both know the truth of what would make you healthy, what would make you flourish, what would help you to delight in the good things of the Lord, and then your ability to actually do those things. And the, the virtuous person, the bold claim of our faith and sort of the, the state of Adam and Eve before the fall was that their passions, their sense appetites lined up with what was actually true and good for them. Their sense appetites were, were formed by the truth. And so they had this sort of freedom in their action. But we as broken human beings in history, we struggle with our passions being out of line with the true, the good, and the beautiful. So we have to, to, to fight against, against those draws. And there's two different ways you might get off track. One is that you don't actually know the truth. Right, so the things that you suppose are healthy for you are not. And you might make willful choices which you suppose are good but actually aren't good for you. Or the other thing is that you're so strongly attracted to the things you know are bad for you, you eat them in spite of the fact that you don't think they're good for you. <laughs> um, so now let's, let's pull back and think about this idea of, of you're either trying to get away from something bad that you wish wasn't the case, or you're wishing to run toward something you believe is good that you want to get toward. So if, if our action, if our sort of domains of motivation, the drives of our soul are our appetites towards or away from things, this means that the, the closer we are at something we want to get away from, the stronger our drive to move away from that is. And then the further we get from that thing, which we want to get away from, the weaker that passion becomes. Then the opposite is true. If there's something attractive to us, the closer we get to that thing, the more motivated we are to move toward it, to accelerate toward it. And the further we are from it, the less passion we experience as a result of the, of the perception of that thing. All right, so now think about the idea of setting goals and your wellness journey. Right? There's certain things you want to get away from, whether it be the number on the scale or the way your clothes fit or how you feel or, or what have you. And if, if all of your goals are simply the stuff that you want to be different, the stuff you want to get away from, the more progress you make, the more your passions will subside that are driving you in that behavior. But if you have a compelling vision of the future, an, an image that, that gives you motivation, that drives you, that in your gut, you know you want. That means the more that, that vision becomes the reality, the more you get a taste of what that could be like, the more your passions will actually increase toward that thing and can help you accelerate toward your goal. So I really think you need both. You need both things that you want to get away from that can help you get started, right? That can push you toward uh, you know, a, a change of heart, a conversion of heart, a change of life. But then you also need a compelling vision of the future that's going to help you to accelerate toward uh, your goal. So, so in an in instance, you might think, um, you know, at the beginning of your conversion, you're going to be driven away from your sin. You're going to be driven away from your disease. You're going to be driven away from the ways you're not healthy. 
But then over time, you need to then become attracted to holiness, attracted toward health, attracted toward integration in a way that will help you continue to accelerate as you make progress. All this begs the question, though, how do we know we have a true vision? How do we know that we know the truth? How do we know that we're drawn toward what's actually good for us? What's the source of your vision? There's something I, 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 I need you to be aware of, because uh, in all of the space of kind of health influencers and wellness and even uh, the Catholic world of, of information and, and apologetics and uh, this kind of information economy that we all consume online or many people consume online, is the reality of parasocial interaction and parasocial relationships. When you're listening to someone over and over again, so like if you're listening to me on the podcast or watching the show on YouTube, there's a way in which your body starts to react to this content as if you know me, right? We're just designed as humans. Our, our, our body doesn't do a good job distinguishing between what's actually there and what we think is there. So you hearing my voice over a period of time starts to form in your body a sense as if you actually have a relationship with me, a certain comfort with me, right? And this makes the content more attractive to you. you there might be podcasts, you just listen to them because you like listening to them. You might not even be interested in what the person's saying anymore. You might not care about the guest. You may, it, the podcast may have become completely irrelevant to your life, yet you continue to consume the content. And this is because your body actually believes that that's your friend talking to you. <laughs> you want to spend time with that person. So that this is the experience of having a parasocial interaction or relationship. Right? Some of you that listen to this podcast actually know me, and some of you don't. But regardless of the fact of whether you know me or not, you're still going to have an attraction to the content based on this parasocial relationship we formed. Now, many influencers, for good or for bad, some of them in, intend poor, some of them intend well, we can use this parasocial relationship to affect people's behavior for better or worse. So if I start talking to you about what I do to be well, what I do to be holy, how I act in my life, right? Now you might start to feel this kind of weight or draw toward my lifestyle, toward my behavior, because becoming like someone else is a way of fostering a relationship with them. You know, think of those kids in junior high or high school who become friends with each other and they start talking like each other. They start liking the things the other people like. You know, maybe you've gone crazy. Like, why have my kids become like all of these other kids I don't like? <laughs> or this is just natural human instinct driving us toward social connection in a way that's meaningful and important for our survival and our flourishing. But we might lay on top of this the fact that that health influencer or that, that doctor who's talking on the podcast also has a product they sell. You, you can't listen to a podcast without trying to be sold a supplement these days, right? And so you start to feel this, this weight of wanting to buy the person's product because you feel like you know them and you feel like you trust them. And then you have this instinctive drive to be like the other person and, and, and wanting to sort of make that person happy. Right, this is one of the reasons I don't sell any products. I don't want to sell any products. I never want to sell any products uh, because I, I, I know, one, like I have no business designing a product. Like I'm not a scientist. I don't actually know what's best for anyone in any meaningful way when I'm trying to formulate a, 
you know, a supplement or something like that. And two, like I would have no way of actually uh, judging the actual quality or content or or having control of the supply chain to know the purity of it or anything like that, right? It would be completely irresponsible for me to offer you a supplement. But hopefully as I'm talking about this, you can see this in action. This kind of parasocial interaction relationship, the way it affects our sort of sense of knowing the person that's on the microphone, that's on the camera, and how that thing can affect our behavior of wanting to be like them and wanting really, in a way, to please that person, to want to have a real relationship with that other person, to start purchasing their products or their supplements or getting into their membership program or having some real contact with that other person. But all of this means our vision of who we want to be is strongly and instinctually affected by the people we're forming relationships with. So as a a serious Catholic, as someone who's striving for holiness, we need to ask the question, is my vision of holiness more formed by the influences I listen to or the person of Jesus Christ? Is my vision of life more strongly affected by my favorite podcast or by the scripture? Is my idea of what health looks like more affected by the truths of my faith or by by what that talking head tells me about their life? We need to have this kind of gut check in our life and really ask ourselves the question, do I really want to be like Jesus? Do I really want to be like Jesus? Now, hopefully, if that person operating in the Catholic space, talking about wellness, talking about health, talking about holiness, hopefully they're striving to be like Jesus too, right? Right. So there's a way that this kind of parasocial interaction can actually drive us toward the good, the true, and the beautiful if that person is an authentic disciple striving for holiness too. But there's also a way it might not. So I want to talk about three ways, three Uh, three modes of interaction by which I think we need to make sure we're forming our vision for life according to the person of Jesus Christ, the scriptures, and the teaching of the church. The first is going to the Holy Spirit for our vision. Going to the Holy Spirit for our vision. Uh, One my favorite book on the Holy Spirit right now is The Holy Spirit, Fire of Divine Love. And in this book, there's a section called The Spirit Gives Life to the Content of the Faith. And this is what it says. The Spirit transforms abstract concepts into concrete images. Yes, he has a lot to do with imagination. He loves to awaken and stimulate it so that instead of thinking of abstract concepts, you begin to see living images. There's this way that the Holy Spirit makes our faith alive in our minds. Uh, it, makes the, it really sort of paints the faith in colors in our, in our intellect. And so going to God to inspire the image for your life, like literally going to prayer and asking, Lord, what do you want my life to be like? Provide me with an attractive, compelling image for who you want me to be and whose you want me to be. Let let the Lord paint that picture. And that's an important step in coming to a, a clear vision. The next concept for getting a clear vision of life is the imitation of Christ. Think of the, the classic spiritual work, The Imitation of Christ. But this idea is, is deep in our tradition. There's that, that phrase of Pontius Pilate. As he presents Jesus to the crowd, he says, Ecce homo, behold the man. Right? And this is Jesus scourged and, and in the midst of his passion, crowned with thorns and 
and with the, uh, the, the, the reed scepter that's there to mock him. And Pilate presents him to the crowd and says, behold the man. But, but Pilate, Pilate is evangelizing in spite of himself because that is the man. That is the God man. That is the model of life. That's the man unaffected by sin who's lived a life perfectly for the Lord because he is the Lord. And we can look to Jesus as the model for life that is true, good, and beautiful. So we need to to know the person of Jesus Christ by, by knowing the way that God has shown himself to us. And we come to know Christ's character by saturating our life in the scriptures, by reading the gospels. Over and over and over again, read the gospels. Come to know the character of Christ through the gospels and, and judge the vision of your life through that gospel. You know, like, like one of the, the common visions that are presented to us is this idea of, of, um, of excessive wealth. <laughs> you know, rise and grind. Make your money work for you. Like get enough money so that you don't have to work anymore. Figure out a way to make a full-time wage only working five hours a week. Like all this stuff is out there in, in this influencer space. But we need to judge that based on the criteria of the gospel, which says, you know, it's easier for the, uh, the rich man to get to heaven than it is, or it's, it's harder for the rich man to get to heaven than it is for the camel to get through the eye of the needle. I believe strongly that Jesus presents the normative way into the kingdom as the way of poverty. And the exception of the one in the kingdom is the rich person who gets there. So this and in many other ways, we need to judge our vision for life based on the vision of the Gospels. And, and, and in a sense, this, this kind of internal mechanism of forming a, a parasocial relationship with someone I think in a real way, this is God's design for us being able to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ in and through his scriptures. That as we read the stories of Christ, as we imagine the stories of Christ, as we, as we meditate on the life of Christ, we come in our basic humanity, our bodily function, our neurology to, to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is an authentic relationship because we actually do do hear Christ's voice spoken to us in the scripture. We actually do see Jesus Christ when we imagine him in our heart and mind because the relationship is mediated to us through grace, through the real presence of God in our life, through the presence of God in our body as a result of our baptism and through the reality of, of God's ongoing relationship uh, with us through creation. So there's a way that this, this sort of a mechanism in us that can make us feel like we know that influencer who we listen to their podcast every week actually primes us to experience the truth of the gospel in our bodies. So we need to make sure our vision for life comes from the life of Christ. And then finally, our vision for life can come from the lives of the saints. They're this way that the, the, the saints are the gospel lived in history. And by knowing the lives of the saints, by, by, uh, submersing our, ourselves in hagiography, the study of the lives of the saints, we come to know how, in a sense, Jesus would have lived in the 3rd century, in the 5th century, in the 10th century, and in the 21st century. This is what the Catechism says in paragraph 2013. It says, All Christians in any state or walk of life are called to the fullness of Christian life and the perfection of charity. All are called to holiness. 
be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? The, the Catechism is quoting Second Va- the Second Vatican Council there, talking about the universal call to holiness. And then it quotes here, it says, In order to reach this perfection, the faithful should use the strength that out to them by Christ's gift, so that doing the will of the Father in everything, they may wholeheartedly devote themselves to the glory of God and to the service of their neighbor. Thus, the holiness of the people of God will grow in fruitful abundance, as is clearly shown in the history of the church and the lives of so many saints. So the holiness of the people of God, growing in fruitful abundance, is shown through the lives of many saints. So when we get to know the saints, when we have a real relationship with the saint, which we can do because the saints are in heaven, once again, we can have a real relationship with them through the communion of saints, through this real relationship with the church triumphant. By getting to know them, we can have a a vision for holiness of what it looks like in our time and our space. I think the best example of this is Blessed Carlo Acutis. You know, he died as a teenager, but as a teenager who used the internet and played video games and did all this other stuff, you know, and, and this, you know, says, well, maybe you can be a saint and play video games too. But as Carlo wrestled with this and he prayed, you know, Lord, let me play the right amount of video games. The place where he landed for him was one hour a week. That the right amount for him of video games in order to grow in holiness was to play for one hour a week. Um, and so maybe for you, it's a little bit more, a little bit less. I know a lot of my friends have a boundary that they only play with other people. They only play with their, their kids. Their kids can only play with other people. right? So whatever boundaries that you have. But this life of the saint can give us a vision for life by which we can understand what it could look like for us too. So these need to be our three sources for vision. One, the Holy Spirit, giving us a compelling vision of the the faith lived out. Two, the life of Christ, especially through the Holy Scriptures. And then three, the lives of the saints. And if we can come to a vision of what holiness and health looks like through these sources, we, we can be sure that what we're accelerating towards is God's vision for our life. And not just, uh, you know, the, the vision for what we think our, our favorite health influencers' life look like or, or all the different um, visions for, for the good life that come from our world or whatever might also come from our childhood. Uh, so join me on this quest to, to move toward the Lord and get a compelling vision for life formed by the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, and the lives of the saints. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.